This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left, Danny Bailey in the booth. The Denver Nuggets find a way to get things done after a bumpy start last night. Of course, they uh, did not start out the game against the Kings particularly well, trying to avoid the season sweep at the hands of Sacramento. But in short order, the Nuggets got right and found a way to essentially, again, much like we saw not too long ago, against the Golden State Warriors, just kind of uh, hit their stride and blow the doors off of the Sacramento Kings. What ended up a 117-96 win, the first time, by the way, in the four matchups this year between the Kings and the Nuggets, in which the Nuggets had their starting five intact. It certainly showed Jamal Murray 13 for 15 from the floor, 32 points, Every other Nuggets starter in double digits and not just by a little 14 points, the minimum. Michael Porter Jr. had that in 24 minutes. Nikola Jokic in 32 minutes, but by then Jokic had had 14 more rebounds and an 11 more assists to go along with three steals and a block. The Nuggets just did what they've done. And Sandy, you hit this exactly right last night when we talked about it, when you were very, very confident they'd win. They're just the better team. And when we talk about the idea of playoff focus, and experience, this was one of those games where it looked like it showed. I think it showed, and I think every now and then, maybe it doesn't happen over an entire game. Sometimes it does. I think their victory over the Lakers in Los Angeles recently, uh, the comeback over Golden State, again, that was not a complete game performance by the Nuggets because they were down by a similar margin at almost the same stage of the game that they trailed last night by 15. You know, well into the second quarter after being down, what was it, 35-28 of the quarter, mm-hmm. became 47-32, and the Nuggets proceeded to finish the game on an 85-49 to run. For those uh, non-mathematicians in the audience, I'm one and of I had to <laughs> kind of calculate this out myself, yeah. it took me 30-45 seconds, toes. that would be plus 36. And, of course, they had a much bigger lead than the one with which they finished the game. yeah, they, they won the game by 21 points. They had bigger leads than 21 points. I think the run, the big run, was 64 to 18, something in that neighborhood, which I, I think is plus 46. And I think I do remember that being yeah. referenced uh, during the telecast at one point. So, yes, yeah. uh, it, when the Nuggets need to push back, against a team that, whatever the circumstances were, had gone 3-0 and against them this year, they got the job done. And the Kings not having De'Aaron Fox probably helped a little bit. But unlike the first three games, we saw, albeit for just 32 minutes because the game became so one-sided, Nikola Jokic demonstrating that even against a very good player who has been one of the few centers who's pushed back at Jokic in individual matchups here and there, (laughs) for the most part, Jokic dominates everybody. Last night he showed he could dominate Demontis Sabonis as well. 
one minus twenty six on the night for Sabonis. That Kings uh, that run plus where the Nuggets had uh, thirty seven for Jokic. Yeah, sixty eight to twenty two in the very specific part of the run. But really, if you just take the second and third periods, it was seventy two to twenty seven. Yeah, I mean, forget just, it. For, for half the game, it was 72 <laughs> I mean, to 26. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and Mike uh, Brown was calling timeouts as fast as he could, especially in the third quarter. He called two, and he probably wanted to call the rest of his timeouts before the quarter came to an end. Uh, there was no point, really, and I think Mike Brown understood that. Uh, you know, you just look at where the Nuggets are right now. They're in third place. The Clippers inexplicably blew a 21-point lead with just over 11 and a half minutes right. remaining last night in a quote-unquote home game at Crypto. I, I would say the to the Lakers, but they really just blew it to LeBron James, who outscored the Clippers 19 to 16 by himself in the fourth. Right, uh, right, by himself. Which, uh, for stretches like that, for about I don't know 10, 11 minutes, LeBron James was the greatest basketball player on the face of the earth as he's often been in the, in the past. He can't do that for extended stretches now. But last night, he started raining threes. And I, I didn't know that LeBron was, at this point, great as he still is, a particularly good three-point shooter. But he turned back the clock last night and just took over the game. And Anthony Davis was on the bench for part of the – rally right and he just sat there he said after the game sometimes you just have to sit there and admire what this man can do after the game for the nuggets michael porter jr who had those 14 points in 24 minutes well plus i mean that's that's a number it's hilarious plus 35 in 24 minutes had an opportunity gordon was plus 40 40 24 in the same span of time mpj (laughs) had a chance to talk with altitude tv's vic lombardi how much stock do you take in not getting swept by a team, and how much does that motivate you tonight against that team? Uh, definitely don't want to get swept by a team, and um, yeah, it's never a good feeling. Um, so we, we definitely had to come in and get the win tonight for sure. What happened midway through the second where the, the engines came on there? Yeah, I mean, we was down 14, and we just decided we needed to, you know, turn it on and play defense, and that's what we did. Hey, you know, we're used to seeing Joker get his triple doubles. One thing I want to talk about, Jamal, those circus shots he hits, does he work on those? I mean, he had a guy on his back, and he makes a layup. Yeah, no, nah, he, uh, I mean, he, he said it yesterday that he thinks he's the best, one of the best shot, tough shot makers in the league, and I, I agree with him, you know what I mean? He's always done that the whole time I played with him. Those, those tough shots uh, come easy to him. How important is this four-game stretch run now, and, and how motivated you are for the stretch run? I mean, we knew coming back from All-Star break, we, uh, we got our break. You know, we, we were looking forward to the break probably too, a little too early, but we got that. So we know, uh, we know there's no breaks now, and it's just go time. No breaks, all gas. Thanks, man. Well, to answer Vic's question, yes, Jamal Murray does practice those uh, shots, as a matter of fact, and the great players do. Steph Curry goes ahead and practices his fallaway threes and practices his threes from 40 feet out. I've watched him do it. That, and Murray practices his as well. Murray, obviously, with the, uh, the the way that he staggers with the bench, despite his extraordinary performance last night, it's a little hard to miss only two shots from the field when you're a point guard. Only plus seven because, of course, he works with that second unit. The rest of the, uh, the, the starting five absolutely dazzled in that game. Are you worried at all, Sandy, about the idea that in this game, in the game against Golden State, it, it takes the Nuggets a little while to get going? Or does that matter in it the slightest? It doesn't matter. 
Uh, you know, we saw that occasionally in the playoffs last night. Uh, we saw it for the first, I don't know, quarter and a half, I guess. I, they're going to be stretches when they, they aren't good. And most of those stretches happen when Jokic is not in the game. Uh, listen, uh, Colin Cowherd made reference to this in the clip we played yesterday right. in the program. The starting five of the Nuggets is plus 208 in 682 minutes together. That's number one in the league, and only Boston is anywhere near as productive with its starting five. And then there's a huge drop-off. Yeah. So if you have the best starting five in the league, it stands to reason that there will be a drop-off when you start substituting, even if you don't do it five players at a time, even if you leave a starter or starters in with the three or four people you have coming off the bench. Last night it was more because the game got one-sided. But the, the drop-offs are understandable. And if they happen in the first half especially, and it's happening in third and fourth quarter, you know, it's happening at the start of the fourth quarter when Jokic is out of the game. And it's a tight game after three, and they go down 10, 12 points early in the fourth quarter. That's hard to overcome when you sub Jokic back in with eight minutes, eight and a half minutes to go, that that would be hard to overcome. But that's not really what happens. More often, it's when they first substitute, and maybe, as was the case last night, they're already down seven at the end of one quarter, and they're substituting, and Jokic is resting, and they go from seven down to 15 down. And then they put the starters back in, and they go on this huge run. So, on the scale of worrisome things, that doesn't carry much weight for me. That that that's if if you're going to be concerned about something, that's the thing to be concerned about. Having the best starting five in the league when the five guys are playing together, far and away the best starting five in the league, with Boston only uh, slightly closer than the rest of the starting fives, the top starting fives in the league. I, I think that's a huge advantage. And in the playoffs, you're right. shortening your bench. Coward pointed that out yep. yesterday. Everybody knows that. You don't play back-to-back games in the playoffs. You don't need to play nine and, people. And that's it's usually, I, you know, it's the old Pat Riley line. Um, I play eight, use seven, and trust six. That was his playoff mantra. And as was the case with many things Pat Riley said, he pretty much meant what he said. <laughs> I mean, that's I, I watched in person the Nuggets play the Lakers uh, multiple times in the postseason during the 1980s, and that's exactly how Pat Riley conducted business. The, play eight, use seven, trust six. And, and, and in the Nuggets' case, look, because only Jamal Murray yesterday and right now during the regular season kind of tends to run with the second unit. That's going to look different when we get to the playoffs because, like you're saying, you'll, you'll really play eight guys uh, for the most part. 
You won't play a backup center. The play. two players are always going to be with the second unit. Two starters will yeah. always be well, with the well, second sure. unit. Because you use so Watson, you use uh, Brown, you and use Reggie, Reggie Jackson, Jackson in, in whatever order. Uh, you know, Brown happened to play along with Watson 20 minutes last night, and Jackson played 19. Uh, you know, next game it might be the reverse of that, where Jackson plays 20 and the other two guys play fewer than 20 minutes. Uh, they, they have an eight-man bench that they like a lot. Najee, sometimes Jordan, Holiday. Um, you know, I, I know it's garbage time when he gets in there, but the Huff kid isn't bad. Not bad. Well, you, you, you got another big body there, which is helpful. And, and you saw a little bit from Julian Strother, who's certainly fallen out of a favor after sort of the injury issue. Well, but, I think the injury took him out right. of favor. But in Huff's case, you know, he's a seven foot one, 245-pound center. There's no other guy like that on the team in size. So I think you're right. I think the ability to mix and match is valuable, what you're seeing. And this is what we talk about when we talk about teams that are built for the regular season and teams that are built for the playoffs. What you're seeing is a Nuggets team that is going to be just fine. They're 40 and 19. They're only two out of first place. The Timberwolves yeah. win last yeah, night. I mean, and the yeah, Thunder will win today over the uh, San Antonio Spurs. So the Nuggets are probably not going to gain a lot of space, even with tonight's game. Back-to-back, second night, but of course, you wonder how much energy they had to expend. In the middle of the game, they did, but they will get the team that they vanquished on that same ball arena floor to win the NBA title. The Miami Heat tonight. The yeah, Heat, yeah, that'll be an interesting game. In a, uh, and the Heat are our are, are, are game. A familiar spot, right? Yeah. Of course, they came in as a as the, the low seed in the playoffs coming into the finals. They're sitting in fifth in the Eastern Conference uh, right now. I'll so tell you what, moving up a little bit. There are only there are only four teams, and one of them's behind them in the standings. But I I think is a better team at the moment, Orlando. But otherwise, you have Boston, you have Cleveland, you have Milwaukee, and the Knicks with their injuries have stepped back. And Miami has come up. And they've won five in a row, eight right. of their last ten. And, they, and it, it, that's right. The Knicks have lost seven out of ten. Miami's won eight out of ten. So uh, one is trending up and one is trending down. And I would dare say at this point, uh, I think Orlando is the most underrated team in the league. they played a lot of road games so far. But they've also won seven out of ten, and they have a lot of home games left on their schedule. I actually think unless the Knicks get some of their injured people back here pretty soon, that in the East, in the first round, you'll have Miami and Orlando, and the Knicks will finish sixth and end up playing Milwaukee. That's how I see it at the moment. Tyler Harrell will be out tonight with a a knee injury, of course. That hurts. That hurts them quite a bit. Uh, Kevin Love also out. Josh Richardson out. Thomas Bryant out because he's suspended by the league. The former Nugget. And he will receive his ring. He'll get his ring tonight, uh, under despite suspension. being under suspension. So I guess better than nothing. But they will have a an opportunity to rematch against the Heat tonight. And, and there is no team in the league that is coached more effectively than the Miami Heat. No, I, I would so not disagree even with, with you some there. key guys missing. You'll get a good effort. I would not be surprised to see a pretty good effort coming yeah. from the Miami. And the Heat. Nuggets can't probably afford to go fifteen down to the Heat. Early on, that may be a they much heat, riskier proposition. They play some defense that Sacramento wouldn't recognize. Yeah. The last comment from, from the night, talking to uh, Altitude TV last night, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, like Jamal Murray, 
uh, one of the Nuggets that's kind of been dealing with some injuries and kind of playing through them. Uh, KCP had an opportunity to speak after the game and brought up specifically that this is just Nuggets basketball. Four straight wins after the All-Star break. Four straight triple-doubles from Joker. Jamal looked like playoff Jamal tonight. Is is this Nuggets basketball? Is this peak Nuggets? Uh, yes, it is Nuggets basketball, but I mean, we still got a lot to improve, get better at, uh, especially our transition defense and, and defensive rebounding. Uh, but just to start the break, how we are is 4-0, uh, looking, looking good for us. 8 p.m. tip. That is a TNT game tonight, as you would imagine. The Heat take on the Nuggets. KCP uh, will probably have his hands full at a certain point. No hero, but you might see him a little bit on uh, Jimmy Butler. You'll know what kind of weapons that the Heat have to deploy. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but we'll find out. The Nuggets now 40-19, and 19, still in third. The Timberwolves win last night to maintain their spot. The Thunder will likely beat the San Antonio Spurs yeah, tonight. So the Nuggets so. will want to get and another And by the way, the Nuggets have only their played as well. San Antonio once. Am I right mm-hmm. about that? So they have a, they have some easy games ahead. And I, I think I, I read the other day that among the six easiest schedules remaining, uh, one belongs to the Nuggets. And, and you, are, you are correct. Three remaining, remaining games are against those San Antonio yeah. Spurs. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's probably three games you can chalk up as wins. So, Listen, uh, they're on a pace right now that puts them right around 55 wins. Actually, that would be more wins than they registered last year right? at 53 and 29 because they lost 10 of their last 17 resting people. I don't know. I guess the same thing could happen this year, and they might falter a bit down the stretch, but boy, they, I don't know that they had one of the six easiest schedules last year in the final quarter of the year. No, I, I don't no. remember it that way. Anyway, um, they do this year. They do this year. Do and, this year. uh, they do have a two game gap now on the number four Clippers after the Clippers blew their game last night to the Lakers. So a little right. bit of a window of opportunity. Right. Well, there that, that as puts well. the Clippers at 20 losses and it puts them Two or three games behind the Nuggets. Two games if you look at the standings. Three three games if you look at the plus-minus. Phoenix is way back. Uh, New Orleans is plus six. Uh, I suppose that New Orleans is as close to the Clippers as the Clippers are to the Nuggets right now. Uh, You know, a team to watch, and their record, I I think, is a little misleading because, again, they played a ton of home games. Dallas has got an MVP candidate in Doncic. Yeah, triple-double on his 25th birthday And I yesterday. like some of the moves they've made, too, recently in adding on. I think they're a deeper team. I think they're a better team than they were um, a month ago. I think, you know, looking, again, they're part of that crowded uh, section of the standings that would include Phoenix, New Orleans, Dallas, Sacramento, Lakers, maybe even Golden State at this point, although Golden State's record is not as good as it looks. They've got a ton of road games remaining. Now, they've been a better road team this year. Last year, they were off on the road and pretty good at home. This year, it's kind of been the reverse. Dallas will take on Boston in Boston tomorrow night. The Nuggets and the Heat tip it off tonight. That an interesting test. See how, how the Mavericks do. The Denver Broncos, of course, in the 
at least opening stages of a pivotal offseason, the latest mock draft by Mel Kuyper. There's mock drafts, and then there's Kuyper mock drafts. But it turns out they're all sort of having a similar pattern. We'll talk about it next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. As you may or may not know by now, might have heard it here and there, the Denver Broncos have the number 12 pick in the upcoming NFL draft. And, of course, the mock drafts are flying. Worth noting that at the Combine this week, the Broncos have spoken with Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy and Oregon's Bo Nix. It is McCarthy that seems to be the one that's gaining the most attention in Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft. And, of course, there are many, many mock drafts. I'll have a mock draft. You'll have a mock draft. You listening, you'll have a mock draft. Everyone will have a mock draft. Danny <laughs> Bailey's going to have a mock draft. Everyone will have a mock I, draft. I, I will say that. I will not have mock draft. Sure you I, will. I, no, well, someone's going to make no, one and put it online and say it was you because that's just how it yeah, works this time of year. I guess. Silly season when it comes to the mock drafts. But as many of them seem to be going, and as we talked about, about a little bit last week, Kuyper has J.J. McCarthy of Michigan going to the Broncos at number 12. And even Kuyper, in his initial sentence in the explanation, says, I'm following my coworkers and slotting in a quarterback to the Broncos. It is interesting that more and more, you're, the sources that you work with start to indicate the Broncos are circling McCarthy, who apparently they believe has a little more of an upside than you may have seen as a passer at Michigan wasn't necessarily asked to do as much in a team that was primarily uh, built around a strong running team. But that's an, an intriguing development. I, I get the argument though, especially when we talk about what we heard from Sean Payton earlier in the week, the idea that he kind of disparaged prospects that went through the transfer portal, indicating that perhaps that's not, the way he would like to see people handle adversity. Uh, his, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said, guys that use the portal to run the first time things don't go their way. Bo Nix transferred. Michael Penix Jr. transferred. Now, I, I think that, especially in today's college football landscape, you have to look at that and say, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're scared or don't handle adversity. Right, that was right. a transfer portal. Right, then, but he did transfer from what Ohio State, mm-hmm. I think, where he wasn't playing. Where he wasn't playing, right? Uh, and so he transferred to a place he would play, and when actually uh, with some help from Lloyd Cushenberry and Justin Jefferson, some fantastic defensive talent, a national championship. The idea behind McCarthy sort of. It says, I hesitate to say solidifies as the draft is still really two months from now. But there is at least sort of a prevailing belief around not only locally here, but around the National Football League that the Denver Broncos do really like J.J. McCarthy and seem to think there's something there. 
The Athletic earlier in the week had its mock draft and had McCarthy going before even number 12. Some of this presumes that he's going to interview well. The Broncos made sure they talked to McCarthy first. Do you think that's enough of a, a risk that quarterbacks continue to just rocket up the charts that McCarthy, who by many people literally a month ago was considered to be a second-round prospect, definitely not a first-round prospect, and now we're talking about a guy that may go in the top 10 and before the Broncos even get a chance to pick him? Well, I was only half kidding the other day when I said at the rate he's going up the board, uh, he might bypass all three of the I mean, quarterbacks that people have going in the top five. Some have him going one, two, and three. Well, Drake May in the, the basically the season-long number two in Kuiper's mock draft goes three. Jaden Daniels hops him and goes to and number Dan two. And Dan Orlovsky went on ESPN today and said that he would take Daniels over Caleb Williams. And uh, the good doctor uh, would agree on that point, Dr. Rick Perea who is uh, not convinced that Caleb Williams has the right stuff. And, uh, you know, we were talking the other day after we did our podcast. And I, I think it's a fine line. I, Caleb Williams had a good year this year and certainly was not the cause of USC's demise. No. But. He didn't play as well once they started losing. And you can't say that he didn't have talent around him offensively. It is fair to say he had no defense. So they had to score 40 points a game to win. Look at the CU game. Right. Where they were way ahead and barely hung on because the defense collapsed. But all I know is... May seemed less effective at the end of the season than he was at the beginning. Caleb Williams seemed a lot less effective at the end of the season than he was at the beginning. I know he's a Heisman Trophy winner. Daniels, LSU, LSU didn't have any defense. They got better. Yeah. Because Daniels got better. Daniels carried them. May didn't carry North Carolina. Caleb Williams didn't carry USC. I'm not saying they should have been able to do it. I'm just saying they didn't do it. And Daniels did. And LSU wasn't any better than North Carolina and USC, at least the first month of the season, they weren't. And yet at the end of the year of the three teams, LSU seemed the strongest of the three by a fair margin. No. By by, by the end of the season, LSU was the better of the three, that was the best of the three, whereas in the first month, the worst of the three, Daniels got better. May and Williams did not. Um, and I'll grant McCarthy this. I, I McCarthy was better at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. At the beginning, yeah. they were playing patsies. Anybody could have looked good against the teams they were playing. But at the end of the year, when they're beating Ohio State and they get into the college football playoff and they get past Alabama, and I thought Alabama was the best team in the country at the end of the year, and Alabama could have won that game, but in fact, Michigan won the game. And McCarthy was not an innocent bystander. They had to score on a late game touchdown drive to win the game. And he let him on that drive. Now he had help. He had an offensive line. He had a running game. He had receivers making good catches, but he was a part of it. So 
if somebody were to say to me, other than Daniels, would you look at McCarthy and see some traits that I, I don't know that we saw at least at the end of the year from May and Williams? I, I wouldn't dispute that no. seriously. No, I wouldn't either. And I, I think with Williams, it's also worth notice, noticing, however, that he threw a, a lot fewer passes. I, I mean, it, it went down quite a bit, 28%. If he his completion percentage went up slightly from sixty six point six to sixty eight point six, his quarterback rating went up from one sixty eight point five to one seventy point one. People look at the yardage and say, well, he went all the way from four thousand five hundred thirty seven to three thousand six hundred thirty three. But actually, if he had had five hundred attempts like he did last year, the average said he would have been at four thousand six hundred yards. His average per attempt went up from nine point one yards per to nine point four. The touchdowns went from 42 to 30, but again, uh, per 500 attempts, it would have gone down from 42 to 38 with the interceptions only going from five to seven. Let, let, let me put it this way, okay? Let's say, well, William's going to be the number one pick yes, overall. Okay, certainly. Well, wherever he goes. But let's say it, it, it's Chicago, and for second straight year, they don't trade the pick. They, they decide to keep it this year, and they take Caleb Williams. And Washington takes May and New England takes Daniels. I'm not sure that New England would be the worst of those three teams. No. Because all three are going to start. Whereas I look at Drake May and maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's unfair. Maybe I could be wrong. I look at Drake May and I look at Mac Jones and I think mm, a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, you I'm not... could look at Mac Jones and look at JJ McCarthy. Yep. And there's some similarities very smart there too. Quarterbacks who were very effective in college. Who were supposed to lead their system, and, and, which they did. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's often been said it, Mac Jones knew the Alabama offense better than incoming offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, mm-hmm. who ironically was his coordinator this past year in New England, and they didn't exactly get along very well. Uh, I guess O'Brien wasn't all that grateful that Jones taught him the Alabama offense since O'Brien during his year at Alabama kind of mucked things up and tried to run off uh, uh, Milrow, who is now going into next year a Heisman candidate and O'Brien was trying to get him to change positions. Didn't think he was a real quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jones came in with some of the same credentials that McCarthy seems to have. Now, do, do I think if McCarthy comes here, we'll be going into a better situation than Jones went into in, in New England. I mean, Jones was effectively, not directly, but effectively succeeding Tom Brady. Right. And couldn't handle it. Harbaugh would be succeeding Russell Wilson. It's a little different. Not Harbaugh, but McCarthy. McCarthy. Right. I think there's... Uh, McCarthy would be succeeding Russell Wilson. Not as much pressure. No. Not as much pressure. And uh, the advantage for McCarthy would be, uh, even if he goes in the first round, he won't be going first, second, third. He won't be going top five. There's much more pressure on the guys who will be going in the top five. Even though 
if the Broncos take McCarthy at 12, there's little to no doubt that he will be the starting quarterback on opening day. But there will be much less pressure, in my opinion, on McCarthy than there would be on the other three quarterbacks. Yeah. And we'll see where that leads. I think that's I think that's And there was fair. pressure on Jones because he was really succeeding. Again, one quarterback removed, that quarterback being Cam Newton. He was essentially su- succeeding Tom Brady. And that brought with it its, its own special kind of pressure. Certainly. And, and, and the Patriots had been world championship caliber a lot more recently than the Denver Broncos will have been by the time this fall starts. So, I mean, that's obviously a different set of circumstances. But I, I am curious, how do you all feel about the idea that J.J. McCarthy would be the Broncos selection? It seems that, you know, little by little across the board, that seems to be what people are feeling, that that's the fit. The text line is 303-831-1340. Curious to what you think about that. It is a, uh, a fascinating discussion. As we get closer to the draft, it'll still be a little bit, until we get there, still a couple of months away, believe it or not, with uh, free agency coming as well first. But we'll stay on top of it, and we'll have more on the Broncos uh, in just a little bit with Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports. But, you know, the Colorado home market has been crazy for years. On the bright side, I know how to navigate it as the weather starts to get warmer out here in Denver, and that is by talking to my friends Dave and Mark, a key real estate group's Colorado luxury home team. And when I say Colorado's luxury home team, I don't mean luxury homes, although you could do that. Why not? But it means that you're getting the luxury service when you are buying or selling your home. Experts that know Colorado's market, they know the ups and downs, they know the highs and lows. Experience and stability are their trade. Key Real Estate Group is a privately held company with over 25 years in the same offices. That's as stable as it gets, especially given Colorado's volatility in the home market. The Fed's expected to lower interest rates this year, so beat the competition and buy your new home before that frenzy returns to Denver and get yourself a bargain in the process. If you're thinking of a new build, it makes sense too. Home builders are offering great incentives. Let Dave and Mark represent you to make sure you're getting everything you deserve. You'll want to call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group today. That's 720-900-LIST, 720-900-LIST, or visit them at keyrealestategroup.com. Up in Boulder in what amounted to a make-or-break game for the Colorado Buffaloes. They ended up making it, and they did it without Cody Williams. They did it without Julian Hammond. They found a way to get it done and keep their chances alive, even though, if you believe the latest uh, bracket experts, it still puts the buff chances at roughly 50-50. Course, that's that's a, a hell of a lot better, better than they than were the, before the USC game. Yeah, and it would have been a lot better than the uh, like 1% that they had lost last night. We'll talk about the bus and what that win means going forward. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Shot clock down to four. O'Brien trapped. Simpson has to fire. And he switches. KJ Simpson. Six seconds on the shot clock. Simpson foul and puts it in. Simpson to steal. Ruffin for three. Bang! Big one. 
That's sound courtesy of the Pac-12 Network. K.J. Simpson uh, in those highlights featuring prominently as well. He should be. 27 points, 8 assists, 7 boards, 4 steals in 40 minutes to lead the Played bus. all 40. To a, yeah, never never came off the floor. 88-78 Wire to wire. In which the Buffs absolutely had to have it. I guess it wasn't a wire to wire win because Cal was up 3-2. But right. after that, CU went on a run. Buffs only and played I don't think seven they players. Seven. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, the starters got heavy minutes. No Cody Williams, uh, no Julian Hamill. Silva played 39. Uh, Hadley played 39. And Simpson played 40. Uh, O'Brien, 29. And Lampkin, 31. I thought it was one of Eddie Lampkin's better games, actually. But, you know, I, you give me a guard in the country right now who's putting up the numbers that K.J. Simpson is putting up. I I, I don't think there is one. And uh, Tad Boyle, we talked about this the other day. Uh, after the game on Saturday night, the win over Utah, right at the end of his press conference, as he was being cut off by the, <laughs> <laughs> the media relations uh, person, uh, sounded off and said, I, I just can't understand for the life of me how K.J. Simpson gets no national recognition. Now, within the Pac-12, he's a player of the year candidate. Right. And he's on the wooden list, I think not going to win but uh, and I, he's not the player of the year but shouldn't he be getting a little bit of national recognition uh, CU uh, largely without Cody Williams at least a healthy Cody Williams in their last three games they've won all three mm-hmm. USC Utah and last night Cal averaging 120 points per 100 possessions last three games most of that is due to K.J. Simpson. He has scored 85 points the last three games. Now, my math, again, off the top of my head is not great, but that's pretty close to 30 uh, It sure is. You give me another guard in the country who's giving you that kind of production. Who's game also after game in after that game. span of time. And I understand that the UCLA game, the one before the three-game winning streak that they lost, 64-60, had a four-point game and really struggled. But... Uh, I mean, 85 points in the last three games, including 27 last night, as you mentioned. And it is a, he's the best guard rebounder in the Pac-12 by well, a country mile. He's 20 boards. He's in the top and, uh, 10 in rebounds in the Pac-12. Yeah, 20 boards and 16 Six assists two. in those three games, too. Yeah. So, I mean, putting up, when that's with five steals on top of he that. He has been a great player. And I, I said the other day, um, I know there have been great guards, and I listed most of the ones, I hope. Um, and, I, and I left out Corey Higgins. It was a terrific score at CU on Tad Boa's first team. Uh, and I think uh, Alec Burks is on that. Team Alec too. Burks, so right. It, it, that, that might be the best backcourt tandem they've ever had. But if I were to put together an all-time CU team, my backcourt would be Chauncey Billups and K.J. Simpson. Simpson really has been, obviously, instrumental to this. Tristan De Silva, who was uh, maybe considered, at least around the country, the more significant player coming into the year uh, obviously has been very very important as well but it does feel like simpson is sort of the straw that stirs the drink at this point uh, but de silva was great in the first half too he really was he really did and, and most of the scoring in the, in the last first couple half. of games as well so yep. i mean they, they've really needed those two guys to step up especially with cody williams either unavailable or dinged up for the buffaloes now now 19 and 9 just have a couple games left yep. On the schedule, another home game against Stanford on Sunday. 
That'll be an FS1 national game. and then 7 o'clock Sunday night. Yep, finish the season with, uh, two games on the road at Oregon. That game feels like one of those games where you look at it and think that that's an opportunity. They're oh, not, I think so. They're not expected to win that game. So if they lose well, that game and they don't get the doors blown off of them at least. Speaking of that, probably doesn't hurt anything. But if they win, big advantage. I watched Oregon State at Oregon last night. Mm-hmm. Oregon State had a great chance to win that game. They were ahead for major portions of the game. Oregon State's in last place. And I know it's a rivalry game. And as they say, you throw the numbers out the window when yeah. rivals get together like that. But the game was in Eugene. And, yeah, Oregon pulled it out 78-71. Oregon State played very well. And I, I never in watching got the feeling that they were necessarily going to win the game. But they played Oregon tough. Oregon's overall record is 19-9. and CU's record, as you just mentioned, is 19-9. and And CU beat Oregon in Boulder, yes, earlier in the year. There's no reason why CU can't be at least very competitive in that game, even if they don't win it. And if they do win it, then I think they finish third ahead of Oregon. And when Oregon State was leading last night, I'm thinking if Oregon State can win this game, CU's in third place right now. Right. They're in third place right now. Action tonight in the Pac-12. Stanford goes to Utah, Southern Cal to number 19, Washington State, and UCLA to Washington. That latter game on FS1, a late start, 8.30 p.m. But uh, Denver time. Again, the, the thing to remember, uh, even the bracketologists now are saying this. CU has a 50-50 chance to make the mm-hmm. tournament, and you wouldn't have given them more than a 1-5 in five chance at best. When they just lost 4-5? After they've just lost to UCLA. Right, And they had USC coming, and especially when USC was beating them uh, by, what, 16? Uh, with a little over nine right. minutes to go in a game, you, you wouldn't have given them uh, more than a 5% chance, and much of that would have been based on winning the uh, conference tournament, uh, qualifying for the tournament. There, there are only three teams right now, unless one of the others wins the conference tournament. Only three teams are serious contenders for the NCAA tournament. And those three would be Arizona, Washington State, and Colorado. Not Oregon, not UCLA, certainly not anybody else. Well, in keep country. in mind on Saturday, uh, Washington will take on uh, Southern Cal, but the big one is Oregon that has to go to Arizona. They go to Tucson well, to take on the number six team see, in the country. So by next Monday. One would presume Oregon's going to have a tough time CU winning be, that game. CU will be in third place. Presuming now, they hold court they hold against on. Stanford. But yes. I mean, make, making that Oregon CU game potentially next Thursday a game directly for third yeah. place. I, I do want to make mention of something that Tad Boyle said on the radio post game last night. Uh, they were talking about the great offensive teams that he's coached at CU, and there have been a few of them. He said this was the best team offense. He said the individual talent offensively was better in 2010, 2011, his first year. But collectively, Best offensive team he's ever coached. Ducks now 11-6, and six, Buffs 10-7. and seven. But as you can imagine, like we said, if Oregon were to lose this weekend to Arizona, the Buffaloes hold court against Stanford. It was 7-10 and 10 in conference and 12-15 and 15 overall. They would have matching 11-7 and seven records going into their pivotal game. There were really yeah. legitimately third place in the Pac-12 would be right. on the line. That's right. And uh, were the Buffs to come up victorious somehow in that, 
they take on those last place Oregon State Beavers on the road yeah. to finish off the schedule. That's if right. they could finish by running the table with four straight wins, mm-hmm. they should finish third they should in the Pac-12, which should give them a pretty good shot, presuming they at least look decent during the conference tournament in order to get in. And perhaps with a little bit of a return for health for Cody Williams, that would help as well. I think three teams will make it from the Pac-12. Now, unfortunately, we know Arizona and Washington State, regardless, will be two of those teams. Certainly. And if a surprise team from the back of the pack was to sneak up and win the conference tournament, that would be the third team. More than likely. More than likely. So, (laughs) you're right. CU has to hope, in a sense, that form holds, right? Even if they don't win the tournament, that if they don't win, either Arizona or Washington State wins because they're going to the tournament regardless. CU needs to win, I still think, a couple of games in the conference tournament in addition to hoping that no one sneaks up from the rear and gets lucky for three or four games. Yeah, and and that's going to require a lot of focus. I mean, this team had lost four out of its previous five before going on this three-game winning streak that uh, could have been touch-and-go, too, with that USC game. They had to come back and win in double overtime. If if you said at the beginning of the year they'll be 10-7 and with three games to go in a Pac-12, and a chance to take third place by themselves with control their own destiny. Arizona is everybody's preseason number one. Sure. The Pac-12, right? Now, I don't know about Washington State. I honestly don't remember where they were ranked, but I don't think they were ranked in the second half of the, the bottom half of the pack. No, they've, no they, they were not. They weren't considered a top 25 team at the beginning of USC, the year. USC, but... yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, USC was considered to be one of the contenders, apart from Arizona, maybe. Right. In the Pac-12, one of the top two or three, four teams. And USC second from the bottom the Pac-12. They then terrible year for the buffs it is about focus just taking one game at a time in front of you You can't let that oregon game get in the way of the stanford game that's first up on sunday you have to be able to take that one and then you can't take the oregon statement for granted either but they did not overlook cal i know that was a concern of yours it was a little bit and and that's a good sign for the team's focus because when we're talking about sustained athletic success focus mentality the way you approach the mental side of the game is a big part of it. And that's, that matters whether you're talking about professional athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, or anybody in their line of work. And you know a person who can help with all of those. Absolutely, Dr. Rick Perea, the foremost performance psychology in America. It's my opinion, but I think it'll be yours too if you get a chance to work with Dr. P. I've known Rick for more than a decade. Uh, he is, as I say, the best in the business. We get our checkup from the neck up every Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 with Rick Perea on Wellness Wednesdays here at Mile High Sports Radio. And, of course, that is available via podcast throughout the week as well. Rick Perea is the former psychologist of the world champion Broncos, yes, in 2015. Shortly thereafter, working with the Colorado Rockies as the Rockies are on their way to two straight playoff appearances and Bud Black's first two years as manager. And, of course, he has worked in the past with the world champion, current world champion, Denver Nuggets. He also helps middle and high school kids to reach peak levels, boys and girls alike. So whether an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 
720-287-0933 or look them up at Dr. P at thinkonenumber4u.org. That's Dr. P at thinkonenumber4u.org. We are not far just uh, with the scouting combine underway, less than two weeks, just barely two weeks until the new league year in the NFL, which includes the free agency signing period. It's getting down to it for the Denver Broncos. They have important decisions they have to make, not only who they would like to pursue, but of their own free agents as well. We'll take an overall look at the Broncos organization with the lead Broncos analyst for Mile High Sports, Cody Rourke, will join us next. And the music's on. 